Um, it's, it is a privilege that God has given me. I don't want to take it for granted. It's not a right. And so and anything, anytime you show gratitude, thank you. I don't expect it always in the sense of like, um, you know, like it needs to be, you know, like a need to pat on the back all the time. But I do think, I am thankful that you uh, say things and are kind and maybe it's a little awkward for the church because my birthday's in September and a lot of people give me something and then you're like, oh, wait, Pastor preaching. He's going to double dip. Look at this guy. You know, I, so I don't always expect that because you're very sweet in September and uh, in, in a lot of it's undeserving. But at the same time, I know there's an aspect where, you know, churches, the, the Bible talks about that, you know, acknowledging the leaders and stuff. So in the church, I feel like it's got a, a sweet spirit there. Let's look in 2 Kings 6, and again, we're in the book of Kings, and I want to just go, as you're turning there, I want you to just think of a big picture here of the design of this book of 2 Kings, because um, remember, the Bible's, you know, I, I think every author was Jewish except Luke. I don't believe Luke was Jewish. The writer of Hebrews was probably Jewish, being, saying Hebrews. Um, the Bible is, so much of it is written uh, through Jewish men or Christian Jewish men. And, and the Old Testament is talking about the history of, of Israel, uh, among other things. It's got poetry and all this and prophecy. But there's a design to this. this isn't, it is ancient literature that we have in our lap. But you've got to realize that God is still testifying. Everything in here is still to be testified and testified and testified to the church and to the Jew. The Jew needs to even remember this. I mean, Jews, it seems like for us, are in the news more because Israel being at war. And I, there's a part of me, and know it's scary, and we could get into World War III and all that, but there's a part of me, to be honest, this whole Jewish-Israel-Hamas uh, thing, there's a part of me, I'm like, I'm actually encouraged, and it sounds so strange to say that, but it's like, it just it's showing a spotlight on our faith that this is indeed how God says it's going to happen. You know, they, this may blow over and it may be peace again for a lot of years, or it may keep escalating as we know eventually it will be where there's some mastermind that's going to finally get the world at peace, right? For three and a half years, that's what the Bible predicts. The Antichrist is going to make everybody happy, the Jews happy, and it'll last for three and a half years. We'll be raptured once he begins that, uh, by the time he begins that covenant. But it's just saying, we're reading about this nation, and they don't go away. But at the same time, they're lost. And at the same time, they need to see these things that we're going to see tonight. They had the prophets, and they had the, the truth, and, and in some ways they have it, and they're still uh, in some ways following it. They've just neglected the ultimate prophet that Moses told them would come in Deuteronomy. I'm telling you the truth, now that I'm studying the Bible, I'm like, oh, our Jewish friends, Moses told them that the Lord's going to raise up a prophet like unto himself, and they needed to listen to him, and they didn't. And so one day they will, though. They will one day, and many of them will die before it happens, but they will, by the end of the tribulation, all Israel at the end will be saved, according to Romans, and many will die in between now and then without him, but... Anyhow, here, so let's go back to 2 Kings. 2 Kings is testifying about God's working with the Jewish nation in this certain period of time. And they're being warned by prophets. They're being warned by different prophets. And then Elijah, and then Elisha, and 2 Kings. And there'll be a few others that come along, and, you know, and some, some good kings, some bad kings, mostly bad. And they end up going into captivity. 
But the idea of these books is to show the kings and the nation that God gave you the right voices to follow. And if you went into captivity, it was because you didn't follow those voices. And the same thing for us, God's given us the right voices. He's given you the Bible. He's given you the Holy Spirit even better to make it understandable. The Holy Spirit will help you understand the Bible. Kids, how many of you kids, you know you're saved? Raise your hand, raise your hand, raise your hand. All right, you know for sure you're saved. Okay, you have the Holy Spirit in you. He will teach you exactly what you need to know right now for your stage of life. If you're listening and you read the Bible, you're not going to understand everything, but read a little bit, read a little bit, and He will show you this is what you need to know right now. He's your teacher. Same thing for us as adults. And so He teaches us, and when we neglect Him, in a sense, we're like the Jews that neglect the prophets, and there'll be consequences in the sense of earthly ones and, and trouble. But anyways, let's just look at this. Second Kings, and we've been looking at Elisha dealing with um, uh, you know, Israel, and the Syrians, they just don't go away in history, and still now the Syrians don't go away. Um, they, a lot of these outside nations around Israel today, they just kind of coordinate with each other, and they get buttons pushed and things pulled by Iran and different things like that. But here, Syria again is trying to come after them. And let's just read the text and we'll go back through. And the, the, the idea of today's message, tonight's message is, it's going to group around the idea is that we need to have eyes to see God's mercy. We need to have eyes to see God's mercy. And that's what is revealed here. That's, our, that's kind of the, the Bible truth idea. Verse 17, 2 Kings 6 17, and Elisha prayed and said, this is to his, for his servant, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountains were full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. And when they, the enemies, came down to him, Elisha prayed unto the Lord and said, Smite this people, I pray thee, with blindness. And he smote them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. And Elisha said unto them, This is not the way, neither is this the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom ye seek. But he led them to Samaria. And it came to pass when they were come to, into Samaria that Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw, and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. Again, the, the enemies, they're surrounded now by Israel. Verse 21, And the king of Israel said unto Elisha when he saw them, My father, shall I smite them? Shall I smite them? And he answered, Thou shalt not smite them. Wouldest thou smite those whom thou hast taken captive with thy sword and with thy bow? Set bread and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. And he prepared great provision for them. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away and they went to their master. So the bands of Syria came no more into the land of Israel. That means not anytime soon. They did end up coming eventually. But let's notice this. Let's just, let's, I'm going to use some visual aids. So I'm having Grant help us get to that first one I saw. We saw Grant. So let's do a, um, a little review here. And uh, before, uh, as he's getting that first picture up, I want to say this. Again, let's think about Israel, the nation. In the past, they've seen great deliverances, right? 
When was one example in the Bible where Israel was just, it's a miraculously, a miraculously delivering moment for them? What's that? Esther, absolutely. A whole nation was saved from Holocaust. And they're pretty much already, um, a lot of them, out of their own land and just disconnected. They didn't have the organizational power. Amazing. It's miraculous. And a Jewish woman's right under the nose of the most powerful man in that. It's just amazing. And so, uh, uh, being one of his wives, Esther. What else is another one? Before that, it's pretty easy. Exodus. Exodus. There you go. I mean, wow. It's amazing. Miraculous deliverances in the Old Testament. Miraculous deliverance, even in the last 50 years with Israel, kind of rebirthed as a nation. Again, we're not speaking of of them right now as saved. There's some that are saved, but by and large as a nation, Israel today is not Christian. They hate, they hate you d- doing your Christianity there. Uh, we have a missionary we support there, and he's got to keep it low-key. Anyway, so the Six-Day War, I understand, was I haven't read about all of them. I understand it was, it was amazing, if not miraculous, which was in recent years. That isn't within the last 50 or so. And then the future for Israel, the nation of Israel, it's going to have some miraculous moments. In the, even in the tribulation time when the world is just going crazy, God's going to save them and supernaturally preserve them. So this nation, this man, just will not go away. And they're sprinkled with miraculous moments of deliverance, not without God still disciplining them, but at the same time delivering them so that they don't go out of existence. And he keeps his covenant and shows himself faithful to the world. I think that's why Satan wants to destroy Israel through, if it, it means Muslim countries, he doesn't care. He wants to destroy them because he wants to show that God can't be trusted and his covenant can be broken. It's not just about mere the politics. Satan is moving in this world. Just like he did in Daniel's day when he was messing around with the prince of uh, this prince of this area and that prince of that area and trying to manipulate. He's still trying to manipulate. So anyways, Israel's been sprinkled with miraculous deliverance. Israel has been recipients of God's mercy and that's what we want to see. This, their deliverance was in such a way in this story as to show the mercy of God, okay? So let's look at the first point. Here's where, you know, they were, Elisha was in a, in a house there or someplace in one of these cities, I think it was Dothan, and um, uh, go to the next slide. <coughs> uh, outside uh, was his servant saw this, all the Syrian army had surrounded that city because they were going after Elisha, the Syrian king sent his guys to come surround this city and go after the prophet Elisha. Because why? Elisha had the best espionage. He just said, what's up, God? And God said, you know what that Syrian king said in his bedroom? You know what that Syrian king's doing? He wants to... God told him everything that that Syrian king was doing. And the servants of that Syrian king told him, they said, you know, we just the reason we're not making any headway, O king, is because the prophet that's in Israel knows everything. Everything that's happening, he even hears your, you know, your little sweet talk to your wife in your, in your room. He knows everything. He hears it. And so he's, let's go find him. So they find what city he's in. They surround the city. That previous picture showed Elisha's servant looks out. He's like, oh, oh, we're surrounded. And so he prays and he says, yeah, Lord, open this, open this young man's eyes. Go to the next slide. Go to the next slide. Open this young man's eyes. So the young man looked out again. And he didn't just see the army anymore, the human army. The young man who was on Elisha's side, who was in there in a house, who was inside of a city, who sees the Syrian army outside, the young man looks, and beyond that in the hills were full of 
What, what does the Bible say? The exact language? Mountains were full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. I think it looked much more glorious even to the, than this picture. Now, nobody else could see it. But this, this man, this Elisha presumably, and Elisha's servant could see that. Like, whoa! We're surrounded, but we're surrounded by God's angelic army. And I get, I'm telling you, that thought is just incredible to think about. It's astounding that it is indeed true. This isn't just cartoon stuff. This isn't just fiction. This is right now. I don't know what they're doing because we can't see everything. But obviously, there's spirit world of good and bad. And as God saved people, God has chosen that His angels be ministering spirits who are sent about to minister to those who are heirs of His salvation. So we're the object of all their work. They're not the object of our worship, but we are the object of their work. God is only always to be the object of our worship. So he sees this, whoa, we're not alone. They don't see it. He's like, wow, wow. So here they are. I mean, right there, they could one, one angel could have just went, wiped them out. Angels are powerful. So you see the re- number from one. I'm just going to make some statements here, five statements as we go along through the story. This is the revealed presence of an- angelic armies. It's amazing and it's comforting. Isn't there something comforting about that? While it's like, whoa, does God have angelic armies at times watching me? Well, even if he didn't, even if he just had one angel watching me, that's really cool. And there's Bible verses and there's Bible truth that we could pull and say, he probably does. He do, I know he does at times. Maybe he, some of you keep them pretty busy, you know, with your driving. <laughs> I don't know. But, but we are recipients of God's mercy via his ministering spirits. It's, it is comforting and it's amazing. Number two, this is another observation, verse 18. Let's go to the next slide. We're going to see the removal of the enemy's perception. So they're out there. And God and Elijah prayed, Elisha prayed, he prayed something, so let's look at this. He prayed for his servant to have open eyes, but then he prays something else for the enemies. Verse 18, when they came down to him, Elisha prayed unto the Lord and said, Smite this people, I pray thee, with blindness. And he smote them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. So here they are with full vision, looking on Dothan, where Elisha is ready to attack. And all Elisha does is say, Lord, you opened his eyes. He already prayed for that. Lord, smite this people with blindness. Okay, now I'm going to stop a second. What did, what did we just talk about just a moment ago? What was around them? A bunch of angels. And what does he pray now? He didn't say, Lord, I see all those angels out there. Just knock them down. Just use those angels to kill all these people. He could have prayed that, right? He could have. Lord, kill them all. He could have. But even though there's these angels all about them, he's, 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 this is a prayer of mercy that we're going to see ultimately. Smite them with blindness. It's actually something merciful in a way. So go to the next slide. So they're all made blind. Now, it's showing it a little bit chaotic. We don't really know what it was like. Apparently, it wasn't as chaotic enough to where they couldn't follow him because now he leads them somewhere. And some people have two different takes. Were they blind in that they actually could see, but they were just totally unaware of the, who they were looking at, Elisha. They were unaware that, um, that uh, he was really the one that they were told to go see. 
Was it that type of blindness? Or was it a real blindness and like, oh, we can't see at all. For some reason, we can see nothing. And I take the latter only because the same Hebrew word was used to describe angels smiting the blind sodomite, sodomites in Sodom and making them blind. And they groped and, and couldn't hardly find the doorway. That's how that same Hebrew word is used. So they probably were literally blind and physically blind. And so Elisha says, number three, <coughs> well, uh, no, before we go to this next, before we go to what he does next, they realize there's angels, and now he, uh, secondly, removes the enemy's perception. He removes, he prays for the removal of their enemy's perception. That's their blindness. And then the third point I want to point out before we go more in the story is this. This third point is we need to realize, think about this. We need to realize God's power on people's vision, physically and spiritually. God has that power to open you up physically a vision and close you down. I think he's already kind of set some things in order, and we're going to, most of us go through a natural process of good vision, then it, then it goes down. And he can intervene and give you a miracle for a time until you die. But spiritual vision, he opens up and he closes. That's just what the Bible says. And you see um, that he has that power. So let's just pause on that thought. Let's look at a few scriptures. Uh, Exodus quickly says, uh, when Moses was complaining about his inability to teach, notice the language of the Lord here. Exodus 4, 11, Exodus 4, 11, Moses said, I'm slow of speech, <coughs> slow tongue. And the Lord said, Exodus 4, 11, who, who hath made man's mouth? Or who maketh the dumb, or deaf, or the seeing, or the blind? Made them deaf? Made them blind? Yeah. Now, some people get it by some other issue, too. But some people that are born deaf, born blind, what else can you say? He said he made them deaf. Have not I the Lord? The point for God to Moses is, listen, if you're slow speech, I made that. And if you, who makes that? And who unmakes that? Me. So I can handle this. I can unmake this for you. I can cause it to, to work anyways. Um, go to, uh, let's go to John, let's go to John 9, John 9, 39. We know Jesus literally opened the eyes of the physical blind. He did that. But then he opened the eyes of spiritual blind, people that just weren't perceptive in their spirit of truth and weren't, and weren't seeing the light. John 9, and sometimes he shut down people's spiritual light, the little that they could see. Did you know that? He has that authority. John 9, 39, um, there was a man who was literally healed of his blindness, and those who were most critical were spiritually blind of him, of, of Jesus. John 9, 39, Jesus says, Jesus said, for judgment am I come into this world that they which see not might see. And they which might be, and they which see might be made blind. I think what Jesus is saying, when he came to this world, there were people blind physically, blind spiritually, and he helped them see both. Help them see. They which are blind might see. And then there was others like the Pharisees who say, we see, we see. And they know and they see and they're, 
perceptive. And he says, I came for judgment that is that they deserve to be shut down. And he did that to some. They had enough. You've seen enough. You know enough. Now it's, you're shut down all the way. That's what he said. For judgment might come to this world. And so, and he also, uh, look in John 12. Look at John 12, 46. John 12, chapter 12. John 12, 46, Jesus says, I am come a light into the world. I am come a light into the world. Whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. The idea is that when a person embraces Jesus as their Savior, things change and you see differently now, spiritually. Now, it takes His work even to work on you, to compel you, but even when you're saved, it's like, I see differently. I see better now. I was just talking to a guy today at Buckeye Baptist that when he said, when I was saved, he was telling me about some struggles he's had since he was saved because not everything goes away. But he says, when I was saved, I know something changed. It did change, and I saw things differently. But then he started describing this one issue that he's been dealing with and he's working through. He says, but it was easier now to work through my issue. And so that's what Jesus does. When we embrace Jesus, we don't have to walk in darkness like, you know, in the sense of like, I'm, I'm, I'm utterly, uh, I'm bumping into everything. I, I am in conflict with everything. I didn't see that. I don't know. We know enough. We don't know everything, but we understand that God is our Savior, that He has a plan for us, that He gives light. We see the world in His light, not in the light of how the world sees itself. We see money in His light. We see uh, gender distinction in light in His light. We see moral things in His light. We don't walk in darkness. Issues of life we see in light of Him. All right? Because He opens eyes. He gives light. Let's look at the, the quote, Psalm 119.18. Open thou mine eyes, and I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. God continues to open our eyes and illuminate us as we get older. And as we follow the Lord, He opens our eyes more and more. He's an illuminating God. He opens eyes opens them unto salvation, and opens them unto more revelation as you continue to walk with Him. That's what He does. Psalm 119, 18 is a great prayer to pray before you read your Bible. Look in Ephesians 1, 17. Uh, this is a prayer of Paul. Ephesians 1, 17. Kind of behind getting there. And he prays something similar here. Ephesians 1, 17 and 18. Um, he's praying for the Ephesians that, verse 17, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling and what the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. And it goes a long sentence, long prayer, all the way to the end. The long one. Um, starting all the way in verse 15. Can you imagine that? That's a long sentence. Verse 15 is 23. But he's praying that God would open their... He's, I'm praying that God will open your eyes and you'll understand what you have in Christ and how things are. And that, I guess that's what I want to... As we stop and we look at how, the way God opened the eyes of the servant, he saw the angels close the eyes of these Syrians. They couldn't see anymore. It reminds us, yes, God does that physically, but he does that spiritually. And I want to be one who's always saying, God, what else do you want me to see? What else do you want me to see? 
And I also want to be one when I'm dealing with a lost person and trying to help a lost person say, Lord, open his eyes. There's only so much I can do. You can't just, it's hard to describe color to a person who's never seen before. It's hard to describe truth to somebody who's just kind of just shut down. The God of this world hath blinded, in some ways, it, the, light, the, the eyes of them. And so um, let's look at this now, number three, um, or number four. Re, here you have Elisha relocating the enemy's place. So he says, this isn't the way. Come over here to the man you seek. Now this is kind of a weird passage, isn't it? Like, does he being a little, what's he doing over there, Elisha? Elisha, you lying? I don't know what to call this. It is a diversion. I do that to my kids. I, I mean, I, had, I literally did that today for charity. I'm like, I bet, Deb, Deb, charity. Because charity, she's a sweetheart. And when I'm at home, she follows me around a lot, and I love it. But sometimes we're getting ready to go. We're getting ready to leave. And uh, she can see, oh, everybody's going. And she'll go, church, church, because this is sign language for church. Church, church, church. She'll go like that, you know. Go to church, daddy. She's got this nasty, runny nose. It's all like red or teeth. You're not going to church. You're not going to church with the quarantine, you, you know. And so I'm like, Deb, oh, do something with her. Do something with her. Get, get, get Charity's attention. You know, Moana. Yeah, she, okay, Moana. And so the little, she likes Moana. And so I'm like, okay. You know, was a, come, it was a righteous diversion. Come on. So I, I don't know. I don't know how to. That's, I don't know what else to say about this except it was that. Because where was it headed? It wasn't headed towards something sinful. It was headed in a better direction even than where they were. So it's this weird passage here where he's really diverting them. And it seems deceptive. You, I don't know what you want to call it. Uh, I still don't endorse lying. I mean, Ten Commandments, we're going to get to that next Sunday. Um, but look, it's a relocating the enemies to a different place, and I think he's setting them up, okay? So here's what's happening. He's like, hey, guys, come over here. He's setting them up for something so that they're going to, they're gonna, in two ways, they're going to realize they're going to go be in a situation where they're going to come over and they're going to be, their eyes are going to open, and they're going to be right in the middle of the enemies of people who call themselves people of God. And what's going to happen? So let's watch this. All right? The relocating of the enemies. Um, the, then last of all, the receiving of mercy for these enemies. So go to the next slide. <clears throat> Can you imagine that? So Elisha brings them. This is a Jewish city here. This is Samaria. Samaria didn't have everything good in there. There were some bad things, but it was kind of the capital. This is where the king was. So you have these Syrian enemies, bunch of them following. It wasn't the entire army, but it was a bunch of them following Elisha, and they rode about 10 miles, suppose, as the scripture says, blind. They get there. They get right to the, in the middle of the city. And let's just read the text. Let's read the text here. Verse uh, uh, 19, Elisha said unto them, This is not the way, neither is this a city. Follow me. And I will bring you to the man whom you seek. But he led them to Samaria. That's the capital. The king was there in his armies. Verse 20. And it came to pass when they were come into Samaria. So now they're enclosed. That Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes and they, and they saw. And behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. Now, again, so this is non-Christian, non, you know, this is the pagan armies. And there they go. And, okay, all right. We're going to the person we're supposed to look for. And the Lord opened their eyes. So miraculously, they can see now. 
oh, uh, those look like our Jewish uh, enemies here. And they're surrounded by the Jewish army. And so now something's going to happen. Look what it says here. We're going to see that this is the receiving of mercy for these enemies. The king of Israel, verse 21, said unto Elisha when he saw them, My father, shall I smite them? Shall I smite them? Go to the next slide, Grant. And so here's the king. I can't remember Jehoram. It may have been Jehoram this one. He wasn't always right. He wasn't always good. But by the time, as the book of kings progresses, they start calling him my father, my father. Some of the kings start getting a little more respect for him. So the king of Israel is like, whoa, well, this is nice. Didn't even have to leave town. The, king, the enemies come right in the middle of us. Here we go. And all of ours shall. And so he, this is wise of him. He asked the prophet, should we, should we kill him? Should we smite him? Should we smite him? And um, knock him down. There they are, you know. And the Bible says here what his answer is. Verse 22. He answered and said, thou shalt not smite them. Wouldest thou smite those whom thou hast taken captive with thy sword and with thy bow? Set bread and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. And he prepared great provision for them. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away and they went to their master. So the bands of Syria came no more into the land of, of Israel. Now, this is interesting. So this is, so I'm trying to describe the whole, our whole message is about showing mercy. God shows mercy to people. He shows it to us. We're supposed to pass that along. So now this is a scenario, and it's always hard to tell when is it, when is it going to happen. But in this case, it was as if God was saying, uh, the king says, let me back up. The king says, should we, to Elisha, should we kill him? Should we kill him? And Elisha says, would you kill somebody whom you just, your normal captives of war, just kill him? And the answer was no. Normally, would. now there were some wars where God says, don't let anybody survive. There were some wars when they had to do that. But otherwise, it was like there's a merciful uh, approach to war. You take a captive, there's this holding them. Um, and so here they are right in the middle of them. And, and now you have all these Syrians thinking, uh-oh, we're done, we're goners. And it's not just that they don't get killed, it's that they get fed. And so the, the idea in this is this, nobody does this. I mean, no other nation does this. In this day, they would, the Syrians wouldn't have done that. If all Israel was kind of led into the middle of Damascus, and they're right there, they'd be like, great, take them out. Ben-Hadad would be like, they're done. Nobody does that unless it's a divine nation and they have a supernatural influence as they do with the Lord. And so <clears throat> what it's doing is it's testifying to the Syrians this is no ordinary country. You're in the middle of Israel. You just got smitten with blindness. Now you can see again, that was a miracle. And now you're in the middle of them, and they don't kill you. Not only that, the king's like, here, sit over here, guys. Let's, let's eat. This isn't normal. So it has to make them realize this is, this is the people of God. This is no ordinary nation. And so they're experiencing the mercy of God through the people of God. Let's look in Luke 6. Luke 6. And the idea is that I need to be perceptive of times when I need to show mercy. Mercy is the idea of not giving somebody 
a consequence that they do have coming to them, rightfully coming to them. And withholding a painful consequence. There's times to show mercy on people. Luke 6, Jesus emphasized mercy on the basis of the nature of God. Luke 6, and let's see here. Let's look at verse 28 and 29. Bless them that, which, that curse you and pray for them which despitefully use you. And unto him that smiteth thee on the one cheek offer also the other. And, give to, and him that taketh away thy cloak forbid not to take thy coat also. Look at verse 32. If ye love them which love you, what thank have ye? For sinners also love those for sinners also <coughs> for sinners also love those that love them. Let's just pause a second. Jesus is telling us as his believers, don't be like everyone else. Everyone else it's, it's tit for tat, tit for tat type of thing. And um he says, and, and uh, it's no big deal that you love people that already love you. That's easy, huh? It's easy to love the lovable. You know, many of you in here are so lovable. My whole church is lovable. Everybody's lovable. And uh, it's easy to love lovable. Love, yeah, but when you have somebody, it's hard. They're not so lovable. Well, that's when the higher level of Christianity is supposed to kick in. That's what the whole purpose of the Sermon on the Mount is. We're on the, higher, we're on the legal level, we're on the higher level, and love those that are unlovely. And so Jesus says, if you just love those that love you, you know, the sinners do that. They, they you know, go to any, the lowest scumbaggy place. You'll find people that take care of each other. Yeah, yeah we're going to look out for each other here in death row, aren't we? Yeah, you know, and they'll love each other. That's fine. But Jesus says that what's unusual is when you love those who don't love you and you show mercy to those who perhaps don't deserve it. So let's look here. That's the mentality of Jesus, verse 35. And this is easy to read. It's easy to read, but we know it's another thing to practice, but we're called to, verse 35, Luke 6. But love your enemies and do good and land, hoping for nothing again, and your reward shall be great. Wow. Hoping for nothing again. Now you don't have to pay me back. Now you forgive him. Don't just don't have to pay me back. Hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great. Ah, from the Lord. And ye shall be called the children of the highest. For he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. I've been unthankful and evil, and God's still been kind to me. Amen? Well, God's that way. God's merciful. Then, then the, the point is, verse 36... This is the whole point. Be therefore merciful as your Father also is merciful. The focus and the motive of showing somebody mercy, of letting somebody off the hook at times, of saying, don't worry about the debt, or whatever. And I'm not saying it should be done every time, all the time. There's just, you just need the Holy Spirit's leading in this stuff. But the purpose for doing that, I'm going to be merciful because I just want people to know I'm merciful. No, not that. Be therefore merciful because He's merciful. That's the motive. What God is to you, God need, you want God to be through you. God's mercy to you must become God's mercy through you. And so that's the idea. And so um, back at this passage in, in 2 Kings, we're just considering this whole thing, is this. Here's this whole situation. I think we'll go to the next slide now. 
uh, they got, there they are, they're eating. Man, this is pretty cool, guys. They're all eating. What did they eat? He said, uh, verse uh, 23, he prepared great provision for them. Oh. When they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away. They went to the master. So they had at least bread. What does it say? Bread and water. I mean, you have some fresh baked bread. That's pretty good. I like bread. I could eat bread by itself for a long time. You know, forget these carb diets. So, <laughs> but, um, so they're eating bread and water, and then they're, they're, they're done. And it's also humbling. Isn't that humbling? Yeah. The, the artist, puts, you can see a humble tone he puts on their face. Humbling. Wow. And then they leave. Next picture, they leave. At some point, they, the next verse tells us in the passage, they end up coming back, but it's under the... Um, go ahead and go to the next slide, Grant. Uh, ben Haydad wants to go at him again, and we're going to revisit that. Go to, there you go. They're going home. And it's just, again, it's a scenario where... Have you ever had... Where did, who was I reading about? You ever, ever just had like a... You know, you were like, oh, I'm in so much trouble. And you got out of it. You got forgiven. I'm in so much debt. Or I blundered over here. And, and you get mercy. You get less of a punishment or whatever. I mean, my dad would... I, get, I remember just moments with my dad growing up and... One of my problems, I was sassy to my mom, and I shouldn't have been, and, you know, he had to discipline me at times for that, and, or other times maybe I disobeyed, and I remember just at times when, you know, I had this, inf- this crime, this crime, this crime, and this crime, and this crime, and dad would, you know, he would deal with me, maybe he'd say, you're grounded for two weeks. I know it, you know, right? And then after three days or something, dad, I remember one time, I don't know if it was three days or a week. He's like, I'm going to let you off the hook this time, boy. Like, ah, oh, I love, get off that hook. Love it. Yeah. I don't want to see that hook again. Thanks for letting me off the hook, you know. And I remember thinking, that's mercy, you know, because I deserved whatever it was. I don't think my dad ever had, for me, too much punishment. I, I knew I needed it or deserved it. Let me off the hook. This is funny. I remember reading there was a sign. There was some Baltimore estate, you know, this big place, and, and there was a warning sign from a group of people that wanted to give this trespassers a warning. And the warning sign said, Trespassers will be prosecuted to the full extent of the law, dash, sisters of mercy. <laughs> so, so I don't know what that is. They weren't practicing the mercy there, full extent of the law. That's the idea of opposite of mercy. So you have the right to prosecute somebody to the full extent of the law. You have the legal right. But there's times I think the Holy Spirit would lead us to, to practice mercy. Okay, so let's wind, start winding this down. Again, this book is showing that the prophets of Israel are dependable and they're trustworthy. Even the enemies should believe on them. The king of Israel should be believing on them because by the end of this book, they start to have a captive. There's a captivity. And it wouldn't be a captivity if they were listening to the prophets, the word of the prophets. And even today for Israel, in a sense, Israel's going to be preserved, the nation, but they still need to accept their prophet, the one they rejected 2,000 years ago. They still need to re- accept that prophet. So two closing thoughts here. We've been blind. We've been these blind enemies to the Lord. These guys, we've been this. We've blindly been against God at times. We've blindly gone against Him, and He's turned us around and shown us mercy. Said, sit down, let me feed you a little bit and let you see how good I am. We've been blindly 
against him at times. And the second thought is, again, as I already said, we need to find times to display such mercy to our enemies or adversaries. Find moments to display it. And the motive for doing it is to point not back to ourselves, but to point to the God who's shown that to us. That's the motive for it. 